sing these familiar melodies of Gloria in Excelsis Deo. God, I can't help but to think about all the generations past who have sung these in cathedrals and homes, around fireplaces, across continents, all going through all kinds of things. These songs were sung during the Civil War, during World War II, all by followers of you, faithfully, consistently declaring your glory and exalting you through all kinds of seasons. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would show us in this generation through the various challenges that we face, unique in their own way and similar in other ways to those who have come before us. May you show us, Lord, exactly what it means to exalt you here and now. And may, as we do it, hope arise in our hearts because we know that you're the same God then and you're the same God now. That as you were with those who came before us, you are with us now and you will be with those who come after us. So Lord, may you lead us in this time, this day and age filled with a lot of, frankly, division and fear and deception and propaganda and all of the stuff. May you lead us in our time, God, to, to discover hope in you and then spread it. May we see it grow in our generation. God, we need you desperately. We always have, we always will. And it's not just need, Lord. We realize when we see who you are, the kind of God that you are, man, we want to be near you. We want to learn to walk with you, not in front of you, not behind you, not away from you, but with you. You're always with us. So, Lord, open our eyes to see that you are with us now, Emmanuel, and then lead us toward your hope. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. You guys may have a seat. Thank you, worship team. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like I say this every single year, but every single year I just say it again. Can you believe it's Christmas time? <laughs> it's unbelievable. I feel like I, feel like I just like woke up and like, wait, <laughs> it's here. It's here. Welcome to the first Sunday of Advent, everybody, where uh, we, we not only, but to make it clear, Advent, as it's already been alluded to several times, is not just about celebrating the long-awaited arrival of Christ, that baby in a manger, but we're also eagerly anticipating, waiting still for when Christ will finally come again and wipe away every tear and remove all pain and struggle, make all things new. So Advent isn't just about looking back at the Christmas story. We're also looking forward, ahead, waiting for Jesus' future return. And as we wait today, we're asking this question, as we look ahead, how do we not give up hope? How do we, how do we not 
in the darkness, in the, the, in the disappointment that many of us know exactly what that feels like. How do we not let go of hope? Where do we find it? You know, one of the things I loved about Joel and Terry's story that they shared just now is they were very honest. I mean, after Joel's accident, Terry was saying, it's like, I wasn't really sure where hope was in that moment. I'm paraphrasing, of course. But she, but she was angry with God. Like, what's going on? Hope was dim in that moment. And for any of us, whenever we are without hope, we start to feel lost. So where do we turn for it? Nine years ago, I was asking that same question, curled up in my bed in Edinburgh, Scotland. I've shared this story with a lot of you guys before, but I think it's worth sharing again today. That after I finished seminary in 2013, I was given an opportunity uh, to go study abroad for a year in Scotland. And so Shelby and I took a bit of a leap of faith, really, and, and said yes. And we wondered if we were a little crazy because we had our first child, June of 2013. And then two months later, we moved across the Atlantic um, in August. Um, thank the Lord we had an easy first child. I'm so thankful for that. But we went because we felt like God was leading us there. But in the first few months, while there, we hit several unexpected financial snags. And we didn't have much money to begin with. And we, it, it hit us. That with about six months left on, my, on the program, I did not have enough to finish. And on top of that, I had this temporary student visa while I was there, which severely limited my ability to be able to work legally. And one day, I don't know what happened or why, it just all dawned on me that I just brought my wife and two-month-old baby to a country we didn't know, and I didn't know how I was going to even pay the rent. And I'm telling you, shortly after Christmas, I had my first ever panic attack where my body just, just seized up and I just, I started shaking and I didn't know what to do. Hope felt dim to me. And ironically, at that point in my life, I knew the Bible better than I ever had before. I mean, I just finished three years of seminary. That's, that's what you do, right? You study the Bible. I knew the promises of God. But there's something about when we come to the end of ourselves and hope seems lost. It's like we close our eyes to, to God sometimes. And I, and I felt forgotten, weak, alone, lost. And wondering, like, how did, how did I get myself into this? I felt foolish. And I was afraid. I was confused. And very tempted to just despair. And like Joel and Terry also said, I can look back now and see all the ways that God was never far from us. But in that moment, I felt overwhelmed by what I could not control, but so desperately felt I needed to. And my guess is that the, what I'm describing sounds very similar to many of you in this room. That you've been through situations very similar, and perhaps your situation was far more dark and dire than I can even imagine. But in these moments, where do we turn for hope? So the whole theme of Advent for this year, we're calling No Other Name. 
And that as we await the arrival of Jesus, we're going back each week to Isaiah chapter 9, which was written 700 years before Jesus was born. In Isaiah 9, it was foretold to us that a child would be born, and he'd be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so each week of Advent, we're going to go through and look at one of these names. And my prayer today is that we'll see that lasting hope is found in no other name but the Wonderful Counselor. But what is hope? We talk about it. It's a, it sounds good to say, but what does it mean? And, and why does it feel so elusive sometimes? And when we've lost sight of it, where can we find it again? And, and how can we allow it to grow within our lives and then grow in the lives of others? Well, let's turn to the prophecy of Isaiah concerning the long-awaited king to come. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7. If you want to turn with me in the blue Bibles in front of you, we're on page 560. Or you can follow on the screen behind me. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The words of Isaiah 700 years before Jesus. You guys ready? All right, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the bar of their oppressor. If you're wondering what Midian means, that goes back to Judges chapter 6 and 7, where Gideon was used to defeat the Midianites. You can look that up later. I won't have time for that today. (laughs) Verse 5. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God, we need a word from you. We do not need the words of Kirk We need your words. So will you, by your spirit, just highlight certain things for every single person in this room? We know you are alive and you are at work, that you are Emmanuel God with us. And so will you allow us to hear what it is that you want us to hear? Because whenever you speak, it is for our freedom. It is for our good. It is for building us up, not tearing us down. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer in whom we trust. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You know, it's amazing to me how timeless Isaiah 9 is. Of course, all of Scripture is. But Isaiah 9, we know for one, it, of course, it was written for those in Isaiah's day, 8th century. 
But it was also written for those 700 later, years later in Jesus' day. That they would recognize the Messiah would come, but as a child. But in God's genius, it was also written for us in our day. Because while we can look back and see the child was born long ago, we still await the day when Isaiah says there will be peace without end. So Christmas is a time of joy. Yes, the Lord has come. But we also recognize that there's still an ache in us for all things to be made right as Isaiah promises. And sometimes that ache is heavier than others. Sometimes it feels like we've been waiting forever. And in those moments, like fear begins to creep in. The light of hope grows dim. And we wonder, God, where are you? Because the more life disappoints our expectations, the more difficult it can be to hold on to hope. What is hope? Well, in a dark season, in a dark world, hope functions much like the light of dawn. That even though we've been covered in the darkness for a long night, the rising sun begins to come up signaling it's not always going to be like this. That hope is the expectation that deliverance is coming and all will be okay. And every generation of God's people must learn to discover it in him again and share that. But in Isaiah's day, it was described, Israel was called a land of deep darkness. And the two chapters before tell us that the people of Israel at the time of Isaiah were terrified of a legitimate threat of an international superpower called, called Assyria. And, the, and when Assyria conquered you, they were vicious, brutal people. But instead of turning to their God... Israel's king named Ahaz, he says, kept looking to political alliances, people with power in countries around him, even sacrificed his own kids to the gods of other nations to try to gain favor. See, whatever we expect to deliver us, that's where we place our hope. And functionally, that becomes our God. Whatever we expect to deliver us, that becomes where we look for hope. And functionally, that becomes our God. But what Ahaz realized over and over again is that all the gods he was worshiping, none of them were coming through. Things were only getting more dark. And maybe you understand that feeling. That we hope in all these things. But when our gods, little g, cannot deliver us, that's when our hope begins to fade away. And in the absence of hope... Fear flourishes. And see, in their society, without a love for God and a truth pervading their hearts and their minds, the very things which challenge fear, the people, it says, began to spread conspiracy theories like wildfire. That's how Isaiah 8.12 talks about how, how he says, God says, don't listen to the conspiracy theories everybody else is floating around here. It also says in verse 19 of chapter 8, they began consulting mediums, psychics, or anyone but God who could tell them it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. To appease their fear. Now fast forward from here 700 years later to the time of Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, and all that. Much was the same. I mean, there was a different international superpower in charge, Rome. 
But the people of Israel were still afraid, angry, felt oppressed by others, desperately searching for hope. And fast forward again to today, how many of us feel similar if not the same? Because while we look at our society and so much has changed, technology and culture and all of that, but what about our search for hope? Again, hope is the expectation that deliverance is coming and it will all be okay. But the word anxiety is the opposite. Because anxiety is defined as the anticipatory fear that it won't be okay. And according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, there are 40 million adults in our nation who are greatly affected in some way by anxiety. And on top of that, suicide rates are the highest today since World War II. And the highest rate is among men aged 15 to 24. And now I recognize that there are many complex factors involved for each individual as far as why do we wrestle with anxiety and why do these things keep struggling. But when we look at just society as a whole, you got got to wonder, like, where's the hope? Where's the hope among us? Well, I think it's because we we recognize that as, as a whole, as a culture, we place our hope in a whole lot of things and we've looked for hope in a lot of things. But... We live in a society, for, for example, that tells us, man, hope for whatever you want. Whatever your dreams are, hope for those things. And if you want to fulfill them, hope in yourself to be the one who will get you there. But what happens when we realize that we're limited human beings who can't do everything we want to do? In Scotland, that's exactly what I realized. It dawned on me. I couldn't just make whatever I wanted happen. And I panicked. Or we're told, hope for happiness. And advertisers tell us, put your hope in whatever we're selling. That'll get you there. And so we buy the houses and the cars and the stuff, but where's the happiness? Or we're told to put our hope in the love of people, family, friends. Hope for those things. Hope for love and put your hope in people, but it doesn't matter who you are. I mean, we all come up short, don't we? We all end up somewhat disappointed no matter how hard we may try. Or we need to hope for a more peaceful society. So put your hope in political leaders and a political party until we realize, wait, they're not helping us get there. And there's exposing a lot of hypocrisy in the process. Or maybe you should hope for a legacy that, that even if after you're gone, you, you'll live forever in the hearts and minds of people, but death keeps ruining that hope for us. That's right. So what do we do? So we hope for comfort, success, happiness, love, and we put our hope in ourselves, stuff, people. But when our source of hope consistently proves insufficient, man, at that point, we don't know where to turn. 
And if we haven't realized yet that the very things that we're hoping for are coming up short, we may keep going back to that same old source over and over again, only to be disappointed again. Yet we'll keep going back to the same old voices that keep telling us what we want to hear, yet that fear never really goes away. And I think that's exactly what was driving Ahaz in the time of Isaiah. That he was hoping desperately for his own glory and his power. And he's putting his hope in people and things. And when that kept coming up short, he started going to conspiracy theories. He started going to mediums or whoever would tell him what he wanted to hear. But when we eventually realize that our very source of hope proves insufficient, at that point we're very tempted to just want to close our eyes. Which is what I did there in that bed in Scotland, that in the absence of hope, fear and anxiety just became overwhelming to me. Or if we realize, you know what, I, don't ha- I can't afford to just close my eyes. I got too much to do. I got too much responsibility. I don't have time for this. We may just compartmentalize away all that hopelessness that we feel. Oh, it's still there, but we're going to pretend like it's not because we'll just keep going about our work, doing our stuff, going to school, doing what I got to do, yet I don't feel alive. I would never characterize my life as joyful, and frankly, I feel a bit numb. But even though this world has proven itself unable to carry the weight of our hopes and expectations, this world's not all there is. And in bold, clear, hope-filled words, Isaiah announces that into our dark, hopeless state, a light has dawned and we behold his one. See, Isaiah doesn't deny how dark it is. Isaiah doesn't try to say, your life isn't that hard. Get over it. He doesn't try to say, you know what, pretend like it's all good. But he proclaims, no, 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 I recognize the darkness. But in the middle of it, he says, a light has dawned. So if, you, if you're closing your eyes because it all just feels so overwhelming, he says, you can open them now. Because like a sun that's rising and growing brighter, his words in Isaiah 9 rise like a crescendo of hope. For verse 3, joy has arrived again. He says, verse 4, deliverance is here. Verse 5, victory has come. Verse 6, how? A child? What? A kid? Like, a kid is our hope? Is, like, is this a joke? Isaiah, maybe you need to be the one who opens up your eyes. Because, Isaiah, the Assyrians are coming. King Ahaz has proven pretty weak and pretty vain. And, and frankly, like, we don't need some kid. We need a man king who is powerful and strong and who can stand up against all of this. Isaiah, if I'm going to hope again... I need deliverance in the way that I expect it to come. Did that hit you like it hit me? (laughs) But Isaiah, I can just imagine, has a little wry smile on his face. (laughs) But you don't know this kid. You don't know this child to be born. Because if we translate it directly, it says, This child to be born will be called a wonder of a counselor. 
or translate that otherwise. He says, this kid would be called an extraordinary counselor, a mind-blowing counselor, a miraculous counselor. In fact, if you can have eyes to see, he says, this kid is coming, but in ways that defy your expectations, in a way that go beyond your human comprehension. For as the Lord said through Isaiah later on, he says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts are better than your thoughts. And so we come expecting to find hope in certain places. But to know the hope that Christ alone can give, we first learn to behold his wonder. So much of my life, I've placed my hope in myself. You got to be strong, not weak. Smart, not dumb. Right? Like, Kirk, it depends on you. Yet, the creator of the universe came in weakness as a baby. Or I've been told, man, if you want comfort, if you want peace, then place your hope in all those things you keep on buying. Keep spending money to get all of these things. Yet, the Almighty God came poor, vulnerable, experienced pain. You know, I've hoped in people. To give me that love that I crave. Yet they keep coming up short. Even the, mo- even the best of intentions. And frankly, I keep coming up short too. Yet, the only Holy One came and took our sin upon himself. You know, I hope to live forever. And leave a legacy that will never fade. But the reality of death keeps ruining that hope for me. Yet, the God who spoke life into all things came so that he could give up his life for us. You see, we close our eyes to all of these threats of hope. Our weakness. Sin. Pain. Death. But the wonder of Christ is that he walked toward them with eyes fully open to show he is the sufficient hope. And when heaven's king came in vulnerability to die, he flipped the whole script of our expectations on its head. That everything we look to for hope, force, power, money, vitality, Christ came as the opposite, yet he is the only risen king. And in that bed in Scotland nine years ago when I was weak and I had lost a sense of hope and my ability to deliver myself, that's when God showed up to me with a remarkable sense of grace to show me, no, no, Kirk, this is lasting hope. And I had a choice in that moment. Would I close my eyes and continue to allow fear to rule my heart and my mind? Or would I open them, admit my weakness, and put my hope in him? Because even when all of these earthly hopes come up short, perhaps that means it's time to pause and just behold the wonder of the God who came that first Christmas night. And in the light of the wonder of Christ, we can release our expectations for this is how life should go and take hold of hopeful expectancy. See, when Christ becomes our source of hope, it doesn't mean that we stop having expectations 
but we're willing to place all our best made plans before him with open hands. That instead of gripping tight to our will and how we think things should go, we are daily looking for his ways because they are clearly better. His thoughts are higher. That as Proverbs 19.21 makes clear, many are the plans of a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Thus, after beholding his wonder and allowing the reality of who our God is to blow our minds a bit, at that point we can now come to him as our counselor. See, when Isaiah says counselor, like when I hear counselor, I immediately think of like a psychologist or a therapist, right? Because that's how we often use it in our society. But in Isaiah's day, that wasn't really a profession, right? So he doesn't mean that. I love counselors. Counselors are good. I have one, right? But what Isaiah means here is more of a king who guides us in wisdom and directs our lives. All right, remember, this is a baby king that's being born. So in this context, he's saying, no, no, no. The counselor is the one who isn't a consultant, but is the director of our lives. Does that make sense? And what makes this counselor wonderful is that as the God who came to be with us, this counselor has fully experienced our pain, even gone ahead to death. And so this counselor is not only with us, but there's nothing that we go through that he cannot understand. And so instead of gripping cheap hopes and onto our expectations, we can come to Christ with open hands, expecting him to fill them with all he has. And when we come to God like this, and this open space for God to move in our lives in ways that we may never expect. A week or so after that panic attack, a postal worker knocked on our door and handed me an envelope. And I opened it. Well, first off, it said it was from the U.S. And I opened it and found in it a check for $1,700, which was enough to pay almost two months' rent. And I looked at the note inside, and it was from our old church's small group back here in the U.S., who just felt prompted on their own to put together a gift and send it to us. And it turns out that while I was panicking, God was working And he was moving on their hearts in generosity. And they didn't even know the true nature of our need. Mind-blowing, isn't it? And and when you heard Joel and Terry's story a moment ago, did, did you not hear so many of the same ways God met them in the midst of that, providing for them in ways they didn't even realize they needed either? Because when we learn to live with open hands to God... We can then live with open hands toward others. 
And if we let go of our demands on how life should go, we're far more open to how God would have us participate with him and what he's doing around us. That his dreams, his plans become ours. And they're so much better than ours. At least mine. Maybe your plans are better than mine. But like, I just like his plans are way better than what I ever could dream of. But instead of our expectations, we begin to live with a sense of hopeful expectancy. So this Christmas, if you got honest with yourself, what, what are you hoping for? Hoping for joy. Thank you, Tim. I'm glad, man. That's awesome. But not only what are you hoping for, but what are you placing your hope in to fulfill that? And coming out of here today, instead of just running back to our agendas and incessantly hoping in deficient things, what if we learned to slow down and behold his wonder again? What if we learned to stop and see and consider what it means that God the Holy One, the Almighty God came to be with us to rescue us so that we could experience life eternal with Him. What if we sat in that long enough? To, not until you understand it, but until you realize, man, this blows my mind. <laughs> because if we worship a God we can understand, is He really worth worshiping? But sometimes I need to understand everything. But sometimes God says, no, you don't. Sometimes you need to trust. Trust that I am who I am and I have done what I have done. And as we learn to do that, then we realize there really is no other counselor like him. The lasting hope is found in no other name but the wonderful counselor. And so as you consider these questions... And I hope prayerfully, I just want to end with these hope-saturated words from Romans 5, verses 3 to 5. Now, this is a paraphrase translation. This is a translation by a pastor named Eugene Peterson. So it's a paraphrase, but I think he words it so beautifully. Just take this in. If you need to close your eyes to focus better, great. If you need to look to focus, but take these words in. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles. Because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us. Careful what you pray for, right? <laughs> and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue. Keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy. Everybody say alert expectancy. Such as this. We've never left, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is that we can live this Christmas with an alert, hopeful expectancy that as we put our hands out, man. Prepare yourself for how God might fill them. Because that's what he loves to do. We have a generous father who not only came to be with us, but gave us him, his very self because he loves you that much. 
And when we live with that hopeful expectancy, just be, like, be ready or not for what God will do both in and through us. Lasting hope is found in no other name but the wonderful counselor. Will you stand? We can pray together. God, every Christmas, we come back to this story. We look at the baby in the manger and we go through all the traditions and we do the things. But Lord, I pray that right now we will recognize as an opportunity just to behold your wonder. <laughs> the fact that the creator of the universe came in weakness. The Holy One took our sin upon himself. The Almighty made himself vulnerable. The God who breathed life into all things himself went to a cross and breathed his last breath going to a grave. But as we consider all of that, realizing that you, God, not only were those things, but you rose again by only your power. And God, as we consider these things, may we see, yes, how deficient our hope is in all these things on earth, including ourselves. But not stop there. But open our eyes to the light that has dawned, to the Son who has come, and recognize and receive the hope that is given to us in Christ. May faith and hope Arise fresh in us today. In Jesus' name, amen.